Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Chapter 1, we covered the first 14 verses last week. We're going to be covering, starting from verse 15 all the way through verse 22, the end of the chapter. And we'll finish chapter 1, and then we'll kind of move on to chapter 2, 3, and 4. And I'm, I'm just really excited. I know Pastor Bo is as well as he will be preaching while part of the series, uh, the Word of God. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 15 through 22, you can check our church app. It has all the notes there. You can follow along. I wanted to kind of start off and have us think about uh, this question or this thought. Have you ever wondered to yourself, what would it be like to go through life without seeing color? I mean, just think about that. I mean, we're living, we're living in a day where we have HD TV, high definition TV and everything, even in our phones, the kind of pictures that we can take. Um, it's just hard to fathom a life where you cannot see color. And I know that many of us have uh, seen some of those videos online of people who were colorblind and they weren't able to see things uh, with the colors that we see now. But once they put on these glasses, their life was completely turned around. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is estimated close to 300 million people are colorblind in this world. I'm wondering if some of us in this room might be colorblind. That's a lot of people. That's almost the size of the United States. So 300 million people globally are affected by color blindness. Now, let me show you a picture here. And this picture that you see, this is uh, just color pencils. And this is what we normally see, those of us who are not colorblind. We just see the array of colors, the beautiful workings of God's creation and even God creating colors for us to see, seeing the beauty of this. But this is what some people who are colorblind will begin to see. They don't see the full array. They only see a limited uh, scope or spectrum of colors. So it just seems, even though you see some of the colors, but it's you can't see the fullness of the color. If you could go back to the first picture, you will notice once again, it, you could see the sharp difference. And so if you look at the last picture, uh, this is another type of colorblindness. They only see a certain kind of hue uh, within the colors. And so this is kind of what life is like for many people, 300 million people on a daily basis. And in many ways, it might be almost limiting. In many ways, if you think about it, it's hard to clearly distinguish certain things, uh, especially if you're wearing clothes and you're wearing the wrong colors, it doesn't match and all this other stuff. And so when you think about it, uh, it is something that kind of sometimes limits you. But the beautiful thing is uh, these glasses that people have discovered and invented where you're actually able to see colors for the very first time in the full array. So I want to show you this video. I know there are so many videos out there, but this one in particular, it's about uh, um, pretty much a, a guy and a girl on their wedding day. And as they're getting married, she ends up giving this gift of the enchromatic uh, glasses so he's able to see. I just want you to see his reaction and the joy that even the bride has to be able to see her future husband, this husband and now, um, to see the colors that she's always seen in her life. So let's watch this together. And she's like, yeah. And as he was looking at the barn, he, he just normally saw gray. And then putting on those glasses, he was able to see red a red barn. 
that so often we take it for granted. Even these, whatever walls you want to call it, it's red. I think this is the amazing part when you're able to have a perspective or just be able to see something that in many ways a lot of people are not able to see in life. There will be so many things that you will face and you will go through in life that will literally either blur or take away all the colors in your life. And that's when we begin to ask those questions. Does, does God really love me? Does He really care for me? Does He really have my best interests in mind? Why am I going through the things that I'm going through? And these types of questions and these types of thoughts that enter into all of our minds at different seasons of life reminds us that sometimes we see things with only a certain kind of lens. And it doesn't help us to see all the full array of God's colors in our personal lives as well as in the lives of other people. I'm just wondering how many of us in this room, all we do is see black and white. Rather than seeing the beauty of what God is doing right now in your life to create something, a masterpiece that only a God of the universe can fully fathom. I think for many of us, it is hard to believe that He is good, that He is working out all things, not only for our good, but for His glory. I love what Amy Carmichael said in her book, Rose from Briar. She writes this, I am learning never to be disappointed, but to praise. I think it must hurt the tender love of our Father when we press for reasons for His dealings with us. As though He were not love, as though not He but the another chose our inheritance for us, and as though what He chose to allow could be less than the very best and dearest that love eternal had to give. It must break God's heart to think that His children would even think that God will give us anything less. That's why the writer of Romans, Apostle Paul, he talked about that. If God gave us His Son the very best, that God could ever offer to anybody, how much more would He not give? That's why neither height nor depth, neither death nor life or angels nor demons nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I'm wondering what are some of the things that you're going through right now that's causing you to wonder? If God knows what he's doing. I'm wondering if some of us today are losing faith. Faith in God because he's not answering. Maybe we're wondering if God has our best interests in mind. So as we continue in this steadfast sermon series. Last week, if you remember, just for a review for those of us who are joining us for the first time. uh, we, We were introduced to the story of Naomi. And As we talked about last week, she went through a lot of tragic and difficult things and devastating things in her life. As you know, her husband passed away and then her two sons, the only other heir to carry on the name and the inheritance of those two passed away. 
And in the midst of this, God was still working and doing something that she could not see in that very moment. And today, we're going to finish off that part of the story. And one of the important things you will see, there's a verse in here I'll talk about today that's like a little hook to give us a little picture that God was still in control and He's doing something that we don't fully understand. And so the one thing for this morning as we talk about, as we finish off chapter 1, in the book of Ruth, I want to propose to us simply this, that God works through every situation, so we must shift our expectation. So God works through every single situation that you will face in your life. That's why we have to shift our expectation and see things differently the way God sees it. So there are two things that I want to highlight here that we must trust if we are to believe that God works through every situation and then causing us to shift our expectation. The first thing is this. We must trust in God's grace. We must trust in God's grace. Let's go ahead and read verse 15 through 18 as we finish off this part of the story. Now, if you remember when she finally, Naomi said, you know what, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And so he told his two, uh, she, she told her daughters-in-law, two of them, to just go back to your home. I'm just going to go by myself. And Opa, she, she finally decided, okay, then I'm going to go back. But then Ruth clung on to Naomi. And I want to finish off this part of the story as we talk about trusting in God's grace. Verse 15, all the way through verse 18. This is what the Word of God says. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Let's talk about trusting in God's grace as we look into the story. As I mentioned earlier, you will see that the other daughter-in-law decided to go back. But here's Ruth clinging on. And I want you to notice really quickly in verse 8, verse 11, verse 12, and verse 15, we see that Naomi is trying to do everything possible to convince Ruth to go back home to Moab. Like we're talking about four times, just in these verses, three times in these four verses, she is saying, please go back. Don't follow me. There's nothing here for you. Am I going to have a, a baby all of a sudden and you're going to wait until it grows up? Just go back. There's nothing here for you. But you will notice that each time in verse 8 and then 11 and 12 and verse 15, each time Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. This is a powerful declaration of Ruth's devotion to Naomi. And so when we look at this portion of Scripture now, as I mentioned earlier in verse 15 through 22, I want you to see the things that Ruth was willing to forego or to let go so that she could commit to Naomi. I think it's important for us to understand this. The first thing that you will notice is her familiarity, things that are familiar to her. In verse 16, as we have read, for Ruth to go where Naomi was going, it meant that she would have to leave the familiar land of Moab. That means that she had to learn a new culture. 
That meant that she had to learn a new language. Just think about this for a moment. How many of us in any given moment were willing to drop everything and go to a foreign land, completely different? Let's say possibly maybe somewhere in the Middle East or maybe in a very bush bush or a jungle where you don't know the culture, you don't know the language. Everything is strange to you. The things that they eat, the things that they do, it doesn't make sense. So you have to understand the level of devotion that she was willing to live out because she's saying, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to leave what's familiar to go to the place that you are. To me, this is a great example of what the gospel message is all about. That Jesus Christ left heaven and came here to this earth filled with sin. In the same way, this is the same spirit that causes people to go on missions, to go to a different culture, to learn a different language, to live in a new place that they're not familiar with, leave all the comforts of home so that they can experience and share the love of Jesus Christ. This is the type of devotion. She was willing to leave those things that were familiar. And I was thinking about this and I realized that we love things that are familiar, stable, secure, That's just who we are. I think a lot of it is because it gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense of we know clearly what the expectations are. That's why many of us in this room, we love schedules. We want to know what's going to be happening because it's an issue of control. But to leave what's familiar, to be in a situation where you don't know anything, that requires trust. Not only familiarity, but you will realize she had to let go of her family. In order to go with Naomi, Ruth had to forsake her own mother and father. A little later, you will notice and find out that Ruth had to give up her own family. It's very clear. In this portion, you don't really see it. But when you look at chapter 2, we'll look at it next week. In chapter 2, verse 11, listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. I have heard how this is Boaz speaking, and she will... You don't want to miss next week. Mm, one of the greatest love stories, all right? But that's a whole different sermon next week. But boy says, I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. So we see that she left her mom, left her father to be devoted to Naomi. I don't know about you, but that's just a phenomenal character trait that she's willing to forego things that are important for a higher calling and something that's greater. I'm wondering if you would be willing to do this or you would be able to do this. Not only her familiarity, her family, the third thing that we will notice is her faith. When Ruth said, your God will be my God, she was willing to completely forego the upbringing of her faith of the Canaanite gods to then follow now the God of Israel, Yahweh. Now you have to understand that Ruth's background was from a place where they worshiped these gods and they had to sacrifice. And there were a lot of things associated with that immorality and human sacrifice that were given. And that's how she was raised up. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that that meant that she had to live completely differently from what she was normally used to, especially when it comes to faith and religion, because it dictates how you look at life and how you live. Now think about some of you in this room. Some of you did not grow up in a Christian home. You did not grow up with the biblical truth as a foundation in your life. Many of you had grew up with some Chinese Confucianism or philosophies 
of the Asian culture or the Asian religion. And so what happens? A lot of those things might seem like biblical values, so it's easy to transfer over, but there are a lot of things in some of our background that is completely contrary to Scripture. And that's why I think so many of us struggle in our walk with Christ. Because literally to walk with Christ, we're talking about a shift in paradigm. Because many of us grew up in the religion of humanism where it says that everything is about the human effort. What we do, what we don't do, how we honor people in certain ways because we need to do it for these reasons. When you come into this gospel paradigm, it tells you that why we do things are completely different. It's not because we're trying to get something, but because we have already received something, now we live our lives in gratitude. That's the same thing even to today as Pastor Bo was getting a little bit excited about offering and things. But let me just share with you, like, this, this is what we've been constantly sharing. Like, you could sit there and say, oh, there they go again. It's something that they want from us. It's not what we want from you, but it's what we want for you. So think about this. A lot of times we will do things because we're trying to receive something. But the gospel says you have received everything, eternal life, peace, joy, love. And because of that, now you are motivated to give. You give your time in service to God. You give your resources because you have received so much and you've learned over the years that when you receive and then you bless then God will continue to give you more because he can trust you that you're not going to hoard it. You're not going to keep it to yourself, but you're going to do it so that you can do his will to bless other people. So sometimes people wonder like, why don't I have so much? Why don't? Because maybe possibly we're not following what the scripture says. You've been following what your parents have taught you. That don't, don't, give, don't give away so much to people. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And some of you in this room have not experienced the joy of learning how to give. And as you're giving, you're wondering, okay, do I have enough? But I'm going to trust in God. But you give, and then he blesses you the following week or even the next day or the next hour. And you're like, wow, God is good. And the more you experience that as I have and our family and so many other people that I know, once you begin to experience this more and more, it's addictive. Everyone, everyone say, it's like a drug. Come on, say it. It's like a drug, a good drug. Because you get this euphoric feeling where you're like, wow, like I can't believe this, that as I open my heart and be generous to people with my time, with my treasures, with my talent, that I'm the one who's getting fed more and God is blessing me more. Not that we want to receive blessing, so we give. But because we are blessed, we give. And then he continues to pour more inside of us. Why? Because he sees you, he sees me, and he says, I can trust him. I can trust her. She is faithful with what I've given her. This is what God is saying. And then I will continue to give more. So here is Ruth growing up in a certain Canaanite, very paganistic religion, philosophy, paradigm, mindset. And now she says, I'm going to follow this one and true God. That is a big jump. And lastly, we will see here is her future. In essence, when Ruth declared that she would be buried along with Naomi. She was saying that in her future, whatever it lies, she didn't know. No one knows fully what our future will look like. What she was saying is that my future 
and your future will be intricately intertwined. I don't know what that future looks like, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be devoted to you. And our futures are going to be together. Now to seal this quality of devotion and decision that she's making, it's interesting that Ruth does something that oftentimes in scripture other people have done. She is invoking God's judgment if she were to break her commitment of loyalty to her mother-in-law. So what she's saying is, this is my heart, this is my commitment, and so God, if I break it, then you could bring judgment on me. What Ruth did was she counted the cost and decided that being with her mother-in-law was more important than other things that she could have had. So what this reveals is Ruth's selflessness, her attitude of love, her love for Naomi and this God. I think it's amazing that Ruth made this kind of commitment, especially in light of everything that she just experienced. See, it's easy to make these kind of commitments when you know you're going to get something out of it. It's easy to make these kind of commitments when things are going really well for you. But you have to understand she literally just lost her husband, her father-in-law, and her brother-in-law. And she makes this kind of commitment. For Ruth, there was a complete break from her former life for her now to enter into this world or this realm with Naomi and this commitment that she made. Now, why is this important? As some of you probably know, this is a glimpse of what it shows us what it really means to follow Christ. That when we think about the goodness of God, when we think about His grace in our lives, when we think about all that He has done, how can we not let go of things in our lives? The things that we had faith and trust in before, now we're saying, no, we're going to put our faith and trust in God. The things that you were so secure in your future that you were trying to create your own future, now you say, God, I want to follow you and the future that you have for me. Even your family, they used to be my God. I used to do everything that my parents want me to do. I did it for not, not for myself or any other reason, just for them because they became your functional God. Now you're saying you still love them. You're not disowning them, but you're saying that I will no longer allow my parents, my brothers, my sisters, or anyone else, my family that I love so much to dictate my life because I want to allow God to dictate how I live my life. And the Christian life, it's never about being familiar and comfortable. It's learning to let go of those things that are secure in the worldly eyes to find our eternal security in Christ and Christ alone. This is one of the great pictures in the Old Testament of what it really means to follow Christ. That's why in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 through 30 in the ESV, read the yellow portion, highlight a portion with me. It says this, Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life what a great reminder for us that whatever we have to let go and surrender it's never going to be wasted 
God's going to use it in His grace for something that is very powerful. In many ways, this was a sign of God's grace in Ruth's life. Because without her making this commitment, there will be no way she would experience the blessings of following this God and following Naomi. This past week, some of you probably know, but one of my heroes of the faith, uh, Ravi Zacharias, passed away. And several days ago, uh, there was um, a memorial for him that was literally shown throughout the whole world. It, it, was, it was very powerful. I had an opportunity just to watch it after. And as I was watching it, uh, just to hear the stories of people, family members who went up and shared how this one man's life impacted not only their lives, but so many hundreds, hundreds and thousands, if not millions of people around the world. And as people were sharing just, uh, just great stories as an apologist, as a great evangelist, uh, it was interesting because one of the things he shared, or he shares it when, when he was alive, he would share it as part of his testimony, but there were many people who echoed the story. And those of you who don't know, was that Ravi Zacharias, when he was about 17, 18 years old, he was on the brink of uh, death because he it was a failed attempt at suicide. He just wanted to end his life. And it was in the hospital bed when someone came in and gave him a Bible. And it was in that time when he began to read the Bible and then he came across a passage in uh, John chapter 14, verse 19. And that passage says, because I live, this is Jesus speaking, because I live, you also will live. He just read that verse and it literally jumped out, out, out to him and God spoke to him. Because I live, you will live also. And that is where he committed his life to Christ or at least to be a seeker to find out the truth. And that's when he subsequently came to know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. And for almost like 50, what's 57 years, he was preaching the gospel to all the nations, to kings and heads of state, sharing the gospel message. Reasonable argument for the existence of God and of Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about his life, I was thinking about his story, and I was thinking about so many other people that I know, and even my own personal life. I am just amazed at God's amazing grace that it was through a failed suicide attempt where he came to the bottom of his life where God then rescued him. That's his grace. He could have died. I think about my own life and where I've been and where I am today. And I realize that apart from the grace of God, I would not be doing what I'm doing or nor would I be here in Hong Kong. Think about some of your lives. Right now, things that are going around are not making sense. But I will say with almost 100% certainty, give it enough time as you begin to grow and trust in God and change your perspective, shift that expectation of what you want and say, God, what is, what is it that you're doing? That you can look back maybe five years from now, 10 years from now. Some of you, it might take 30 years later. For you to look back at certain times of your life and especially what you're going through now and you look back and you're like, God, I just never knew. You actually use that to get me over here. You actually use that 
to help me to surrender or expose that God in my, uh, the small g, God in my life. God, you actually use that moment so that you can take me out of this to bring me into a whole new realization. But it's always after the fact. That's why they say hindsight is 2020. You see clarity in things only when you look back because that's His grace. Something that you don't deserve. Something that I don't deserve. But He gives it to us freely and undeservedly. That's why He should humble us. And that's what Ruth is going to experience in these chapters to come. That God in His incredible sovereignty and in His amazing grace was bringing Ruth to a point where she could then become the mother or in generations to come, eventually in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is God's grace in our lives. And I'm wondering, are you able to fully trust Him? That's why in verse 18, after Naomi heard that Ruth is like determined, she goes, I'll oh, forget it, fine, follow me. And so they went to Bethlehem together. How about us this morning? Are you able to see God's grace in your life? Even in the midst of everything you're facing right now, you see Him working. You see the grace. You wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for His grace. What are some things that God is challenging you to surrender in or with? Maybe that's His gentle and loving way in speaking to you as you're struggling. Because that's His way of sometimes directing you away from what you're deciding in your selfishness and direct you to His best, which takes trust in His grace. The second point is simply this, that we must not only trust in God's grace, but we must trust in God's goodness. Let me go ahead and read verse 19 through 21. It says this, as we continue in the story. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? We see that Naomi and Ruth, they finally made it back to Bethlehem, just the town that Naomi grew up in. And the whole town was buzzing. I, I, I wish I was there to see this because many of these towns were very small. So it was probably a town of like 30, I don't know how many people. But the whole town was buzzing because they knew that Naomi and her husband and her family left 10 some years ago. So that's why when they saw Naomi, they said, is this Naomi? Can this be Naomi? Now, the people of the town were probably shocked when they saw her, not only because she's been away for so long, but I don't know if you know this or not, but there's something that happens to our bodies when we go through extreme trials and difficulties. Can I get an amen to that? So, so there's hope. So next time when people like look at you and say, I'm going through a lot of trials. This is why. This is why I look like this, right? So there's hope. But as you, some of you know that if you go through trials and difficulties, it has an effect on your emotional, mental, as well as your physical body. 
That's why some people have said, doctors have said, is that in many ways, I mean, it's just, it's amazing how God has just created the world and created us. Is that sometimes when we live in sin, sometimes when, and I'm not saying that every single time you sin, you're going to go through a health issue. Please don't misunderstand me. But think about this, especially when you worry, you have anxiety, you're distracted. Sometimes you don't eat properly. Sometimes you can't go to sleep. You're laying in bed, worrying and thinking about, am I going to get a job? And then because you're not getting sleep, it affects your body. And then you can't function really well. And your immune system is down and you catch something. So we cannot dismiss that a lot of times, sometimes physical ailments are signs that there are other stuff that's going on inside our bodies as well as inside our minds. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen pictures of presidents who would enter into their first year and then by the time they leave office, they look completely different. And I was just thinking about this and I said, I realized there was a time I had more hair. <laughs> there was a time when, you know, life was so much easier. When you're not a pastor, when you don't have the stresses of demands of people and things that you got to do. Like Pastor Bo, just because he had to handle all the protests and everything going on when I was on my sabbatical relaxing, that's when I just, my skin started getting brighter and it was great, you know? And that's when he was like all stressing out. I don't know, all of us, it affects us in some ways. But I want to show you some pictures of some United States presidents when they entered and how they looked and how they looked after. So here's the first picture. This is President Nixon, if those of you who don't know, he served in the early 70s. And then this is how he looked when he left amazing it, the stress and many of you who don't know u.s history it's okay but the watergate scandal all these other stuff that was going on i mean this is what it does to a person when you go through extreme stress and you have to deal with just running a whole country so that's why i have a little bit of compassion on people who hold high positions because you're sometimes pitted against with these incredible decisions that there's a no win there's a lose-lose so please don't don't add any more stress to other people, all right? So this is President Nixon. Here's a, another picture. This is President Bush, uh, George W. Bush. And when he left office, this is what he looked like. Can you imagine? It's like night and day. They looked so different because of all the stress. You guys know he went through 9-11. Uh, there were other wars and other things that happened, Af Afghanistan and things. And so and there were a lot of tough decisions that he had to make. And so a lot of stress, and it affects you, the way you look. Here's another president, uh, nice-looking man, young man. But then by the time he left office, this is what he looked like. The gray hairs. I don't mind. I wish I had gray hair. But anyway, you know, I'd rather have gray hair than no hair, right? You could at least dye it. So just night and day. But there's one president he entered in and he left and he still looks the same. But some of you might know the U.S. President, Ronald Reagan, and look at his picture. He left. He looks the same, right? <laughs> he looks the same. He must have enjoyed it in the 80s. Some of you are like, who are those guys? Learn uh, world history. So why, why am I sharing this? For 10 years, she went through so much. I'm guessing not only were they shocked to see her come back, but she probably looked so different because of all the bitterness and all the different things that she had to go through, the difficulties that she had to go through. So their question, 
maybe possibly suggesting that she wasn't, they weren't able to recognize her because she changed so much. How in the world can a person that had so much then come back with so little? And as I was thinking about putting myself in Naomi's situation, can you imagine coming back to the place where you grew up? And there's a lot of happy memories, a lot of things that you've experienced during that time. And as you're thinking about this place called Bethlehem, the thought of hearing your name, Naomi, that's why she was she responded the way she did, because all the happiness that she could think of when she was younger, that is no longer in her life. The name Naomi has the meaning of sweetness or pleasantness. Uh, some people use loveliness. That's her name. So if you want to name a daughter, you could name her Naomi. That's the meaning of her name. But she said, don't call me that. Don't call me lovely. Don't call me pleasant or sweet. Because that's furthest from who I'm, I am right now, what I've experienced. She goes, call me Mara. And the word Mara, that name, means bitter. Call me bitter. And it's interesting that in this passage that Naomi uses the word almighty to address God. Two times. Because the Hebrew name for Almighty is El Shaddai. And that word, El Shaddai, is translated as the all-powerful one. So when you think about this, you realize here's Naomi realizing there is this God who is all-powerful. But maybe the way he deals with people is not full of goodness. And it's not in grace. She's probably speaking of God's great power, emphasizing that he could do whatever he wants. He's God. God cannot be resisted. His plans will move forward with or without you. Which all those things are true, but oftentimes when we see God that way, we just seem like he's this really distant God, this really mean God. If I screw up, if I mess up, he's going to punish me. And that's how we, many of us, view God. Why? Because that's how you grew up with your family. Think about your father. But in China, in this area, in Asia, think about your mother, the tiger, a.k.a. tiger mom. Just, just think about some of the people in your life. And it's all about, oh, if I don't do this, then they're going to get mad at me. Or if I don't do this, then they're going to say all this about me. So you operate on this human paradigm that says everything about, I got to please this person. I got to try to earn their favor. And so for you, this makes sense. Yeah, he's El Shaddai. He's the all-powerful one. So if I screw up, then I deserve this. When was the last time you actually pondered and gazed upon who God is and you realized he is good? That he is the loving father. That even though I'm doing something and I drop and I crack everything, the glass, that he doesn't yell at me. That he still loves me. How many times have you dropped something and your parents yelled at you? And you're just standing there with your heads down like this. Rather than your parents embracing you, welcoming you, even though you made a mistake. One thing that we always forget is that when God disciplines us, 
He does it because He loves us. Don't ever forget that. There are times where He will bring judgment. But what I found out in my life, more so than not, is that when I go through things, He is disciplining me. When I think about why He's disciplining me and why am I going through the things that I'm going through, it's because I realize that He loves me and I'm going in a direction that's away from His best. So He has to come, get my attention, do the things that He has to do to direct me back to His heart. That's why no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's never pleasant. But there's a harvest of righteousness that will be produced in you if you will fully trust. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And then you think about someone like Job in the Bible who went through so many difficulties. He lost everything. His family, his, his possessions, he lost everything. He even had friends who were trying to say, hey, why, why are you responding that way? And listen to Job's conclusion from the beginning and the onset of everything that had happened. He says this, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That it's God in His loving discipline. Sometimes He's going to show us things. We might not know it, but He's still good, and He's going to do something beyond our understanding. That's the same with the story of Joseph. If you remember in the Bible, when he was sold uh, to the Egyptians, even then his first, his brothers left him almost for dead. And then he was sold into slavery. And then he ended up in Potiphar's house in, in, in Egypt. And then he was put in prison, forgotten. But then God, in his timing, brought forth, and we see that he became second to Pharaoh. Why is all this important? Because his conclusion at the end, when there was a famine, and then he was thinking about his family, and he finally reunited with his brothers who actually meant him harm. But he met them. Instead of being resentful, instead of being bitter, what does he say? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says this. And read the yellow sections with me. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What you did, what you meant for evil and for harm, God meant it for good, to accomplish something that's great. What, what a shift in expectation. What a shift in paradigm in perspective. The contemporary English version of that verse says this, you tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best so that he could save all these people as he is doing now. It turned out for the best. Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind? That's why everything you're going through it really is more of a display of His goodness than anything else. More of a display of His grace than anything else. Let me close with verse 22. And this is the part that I told you is like a hook for chapter 2 and on. I love this verse. Because this encapsulate, encapsulate and summarizes just what we're going to be seeing in the chapters to come. Verse 22. So Naomi returned. 
And I talked about that, right? The word return also means repentance. So she returned. And Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Just read that last sentence again. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. These last few words of this chapter is completely revolutionizing your perception or your expectation. Because what seems so bad, God's timing brought them right at the moment, at the beginning of the barley harvest. What this shows is during the barley harvest, which is a spring season, you will notice it's a sign of new beginnings. That God is doing something. It, it is a different season to show us that the things that we're going through in our lives, God is going to use it for something that's good. This is almost like a prophetic word that is given to what is about to happen. That they left, they returned back to Bethlehem, and it was the beginning of the barley harvest. A new season. And during harvest, that's when there's so much joy and happiness because people are reaping the fruits of their labor. This is signaling there's going to be a turn if you would just trust in God's goodness and if you would trust in His grace. How about us this morning? What is it that you see that God is doing in your life right now? Do you see His goodness in it? Even if you don't, do you trust in His goodness that He's going to work out all things for your good and for His glory? Do you know that He's for you and not against you? Do you trust in His goodness? So the one thing, once again, is that God works through every situation, so we must shift our expectation. And that's why we got to trust in His grace, and we got to trust in His goodness. Can I just propose several things to think about this coming week to help you to develop that trust in His goodness and trust in His grace so that as you see situations around you that there's going to be a shift in your expectation. The first thing is this. Spend time with God. Now, a lot of us, we do it because we want to grow. A lot of times we do it because we want to get something. But can I just encourage us? And this is where I, I want you to draw from your own everyday life. Like, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have just a handful of people you just enjoy spending time with? Like, so if, if you know that you're going to have dinner with them later or you're going to have coffee or you're going to hang out with other people, you just know that that person has to be there because they just make you feel like, wow, I just really enjoy their presence. You know what I'm talking about. Now, some of you are like, yeah, there are other people who are, yeah, I know those people too, right? You, you wish they didn't, you know, they were busy and they weren't coming to that gathering, but you know those type of people too. But we're talking about those people that when you just spend time with them, you're just energized, encouraged, and you're just, and so you're just excited to spend time with them. Even if you do nothing, just sitting there and just drinking coffee, you're just excited. Because you're not wanting anything from them. Nor are they expecting anything from you. 
but it's just being able to enjoy the presence. Why is this important? Because so many of you spend time so that you could check off something called S-O-A-P. This Bible reading plan. And so what you have relegated your spending time with God to is just so that you could get some insights and then share it with people. And then you could look spiritual because you have done something you're supposed to do. Play it out in your life if you did that with people that you know. And my encouragement to you is this coming week, spend time with God just because of who He is. Enjoy His presence. Spend time gazing upon the greatness of God. Spend time remunerating all the grace and all the mercy that He has shown you. Just see what it does to your heart. No longer will it be a task. No longer will it be something that, oh, God is demanding something. No, just be in His presence. That's why I love going out to nature. Not that I'm a nature buff. I'm not a camper. I'm a glamper. But anyway, like, I, I like to go out to nature because it just helps me to reflect and to think about the greatness and the goodness and the grace of God when I'm in the midst of, and it's in Hong Kong. You have mountains galore. So many hiking trails. I wasn't much of a hiker, but after going on 10 hikes and within those couple, uh, that month or so, like I was just like, I want to do more of it. Because all the times that I went hiking, I was able to feel this closeness with God. Not that I was like reading my Bible or trying to do all this stuff. I was just in his presence, just looking out at all of his creation. And I was just like, wow. It just made my life seem really small and it made God look really big. That he could create something like this. That no matter what I'm going through, it means nothing compared to just what God is doing around the world. Will I trust him? Will I put my full faith in him? So spend time with God this coming week and just see how your expectations, your perceptions will begin to shift. Secondly is this, support people around you. Find different ways to be a blessing. Sometimes it might just be just meeting up for coffee. It might be just saying hi. It, it might be simple things. Maybe those of you who are working this coming week, find a day where you could just maybe, I don't know, you don't have to go all out and make this incredible care package that's about this tall and this wide. Just, just even if it's just buying a bunch of chocolates and then just passing it out. And they're like, you know, they're going to be like, what is this for? Just because. Now be careful because that guy might then start approaching you. But anyway, but you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you know somebody, I, I just got a message today about somebody whose father passed away. And I, I was just in, in the midst of just, try, you know, taking care of things. So I wasn't able to have a long discussion, but just to try to encourage this person. There's so many different ways you can support people around you. It's just, you got to get away from your own narcissistic lifestyle where you're just looking at yourself. Go outside of yourself. Yes, you're struggling. Yes, you don't have a job. Yes, things are hard. Yes, you're going through things with your family. But look out and find ways to support people around you. And lastly, speak with truth and love. You know, part of learning how to walk together with people and even just really being able to see situations in your life is when there are people who can actually speak into you. And not just 
nice things, but who could speak truth, but do it with grace and love. Hey, I know it's very hard, but remember what we talked about last year and what God was teaching you. It was about trust. This is the same situation right now. I'm going I'm to pray for you right now. I want to I believe that God's going to help you to grow in this area of trust. So you're speaking truth to wake them up because they're getting so fo focused on themselves, but you're doing it in love and in grace. Do that to people around us so that their expectations can shift as they see that God is going to use and working in every single situation of their lives. I want to close out with this video that kind of is a little bit of an allegorical video. Some of you might have seen it before, but uh, it's, a, it's a video that it really spoke to me because it's about a tree. And this tree that was planted with just a small little seed over many generations, it just grew to the, be this incredible tree. And I think that's how life is. It's just there are things that we plant, whether it's faith or trust, whatever it is, in like relationships and ministry. There are things that we do that don't really have incredible beginnings. But we just trust that there's something in that seed, that life in that seed. And then over the years, it begins to grow. But as many of you know, tragedy hits. And the beautiful thing about the gospel says that even though there's tragedy, God is always in the business of redemption and using something that's bad for something that's good. And you will see something about this tree that happens to it, and then, then it is used for something that's even greater. That is the story of our lives. And I pray that we will be reminded as we just watch this it's an instrumental, but then with some imagery that tells you the story so that you understand that this is the story of our lives and a God, a God who is working because He is gracious and He is good. Let's watch it together. Let's stand together, shall we, as we close out here. The one thing that was constant was that tree over many generations through different seasons of life. But that tree, after going through that lightning storm, was broken. And then they made it into a cradle, a place where the baby would now be placed. There's another tree throughout history that we see that literally changed the course of history. That tree was a cross on Calvary. And God's consistent and persistent love was demonstrated when Jesus Christ died on that cross. The cross represented a curse. Jesus took that curse upon himself so that we could receive eternal life. I just pray that every single one of us in this room through all the difficulties and struggles that you're going to go through in life. Some of you are still so young. There's so much more coming up. Difficulties. I know you don't want to receive it. You don't want to go through it. But life is hard. Just because you're a Christian, it does not exempt you from hardships of life, death, tragedy. 
But one thing that we can say is that we see things differently. We see things in full color because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so I'm praying that no matter what you go through in life, there will be different seasons, good and bad. But one thing that will be constant is that tree that Jesus Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you and for me. May that tree be consistent. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us great hope. May we trust in His grace. May we trust in His goodness. Not because we deserve it. Not because it's something that we've earned. But because God has given it to us freely. Because He loves us. May we trust in Him for that. In the next season that's coming up. Or even in the season that we're in right now. Let's believe that by faith. Spend some time with God this week. Just learn how to support people around you. And speak truth. And may your life be so much different because Jesus entered in. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning as you reminded us of your truth that your goodness and your grace goes way beyond what we're facing. And for some of us right now, we are going through some difficult times and we just don't know how we're going to go through it without you. So I just pray for a special covering over every single one of us. That whatever journey that we're on right now, even though our future might not be completely secured here on this earth, as we think about jobs, as we think about just our family situation, as we think about just the struggles we're going through at work, even with school, that we can just believe by faith that you have our best interest in mind. I pray that we'll spend time with you this week, just not because we're supposed to do something as a checklist, but just be in your presence and be in all of who you are. May our perception of you grow and our expectation of what we believe that you should do will begin to shift and we will submit ourselves to your will, to your plan. So thank you for being good. And I just pray, Lord, that our hearts will just be surrendered. May we be that disciple that says to you, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lead us, Lord, we will follow. Whatever you want us to let go of, surrender, we will do it. Because we love you. Because you first loved us. I want to give you about a minute or so just to kind of reflect, ponder. And in a message like this, just to think about every situation you're facing now. How is God shifting your expectation, your perceptions? And I pray that the grace of God and the goodness of God will shine forth. And that you will commit yourself once again to Him. That He is trustworthy of everything that we have. So we just reflect on those things and just maybe even lift up a short prayer. God, this coming week I'm going to trust in you more. Help me be enamored and floored by your goodness and your grace. Come on, let's do that before we sing a song. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net